0: We uh, continue our passage today from Philippians, Book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. 12 through 18. You know the uh, the hymn of Christ will be a descent to earth, and his obedience even to death, even death on the cross, and then him being exalted to be our Lord has implications, and there's further further application, you could say, of that in verses 12 through 18 of Philippians chapter 2. I think if there was any theme in here today, verses 12 through 18, we would focus on verse 15, that uh, there's children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, or another version has shining as stars in the sky. So <clears throat> let's begin reading at verse 12 of chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2. We hear God's word. Therefore my, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast, or another way of saying, uh, another translation is holding forth the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. So that's our focus today, verses 12 through 18. And we plan to go through the verses and see and hear what the Lord has to say to us in the midst of uh, the 21st century. So, Real stars, right? True celebrities. Boy, don't we often hear about that. Real stars, true celebrities. And that's how someone summarizes the rest of Philippians chapter 2. Okay, what's the Apostle Paul talking about? Of course, he's not talking about uh, movie stars, Hollywood or Bollywood. He's not talking about those kinds of stars. And he's not talking about celebrities like Justin Bieber who's kind of spoiling his own life by now. No. Through the Apostle Paul, who does Christ have in mind? You. Stars. Stars. And what do stars do? What do the light of stars do? They put holes into the darkness. That's powerful. Right? The light of the stars, that put holes into the darkness. Notice what the Apostle Paul says. These stars, you are stars, bought with the what Bought with the blood of Christ and inheriting a glorious kingdom, which is forever and ever and ever. But in the meantime, you live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. But in the midst of that, you shine as stars. You shine as lights in the world. In the light of the self-denying love of Christ, right? You see how he emptied himself of his reputation all the way to death even death on the cross so that we might have life and the fact that he's Lord shows that he's able to give us that life and to walk in his ways that's what the hymn has been speaking about in verses 5 through 11 and now knowing that Christ died on the cross for our sins and that he has been raised from the dead to be our Lord Living under his lordship means that as God's children, what do we do? We surrender our lives, our whole life, in loving obedience to him. That's the key word here obedience. Living in obedience to Christ. That's really the, the, the key word in verses 12 through 18. You notice here, now comes therefore. Now that Christ has done all this for you, this is what he did. The first word in verse 12 is therefore. Therefore means, okay, so what? How does that apply to us? And in this passage, God calls us to grow. He calls us to grow in obedience to Christ. He's your Savior. He's your Lord. He's the life giver. He's the one who gives the desire to do what he calls us to do. And so what we're going to see today, first of all, is the power to obey. It doesn't come from us. The power to obey, we'll see from verses 12 to 13. And then what's the purpose of obeying? What's the purpose of obeying? We see that 4 verses 14 through 16. And then the goal of obeying, we see in verses 16 to 18. We live in a world where even among Christians, they say, they don't believe in the obedience of faith, Right? As long as you're Christian, as long as you can say some, some years ago you confessed Jesus, you can live the way you want. That's not the kind of Christianity Paul has in mind here. That's not true Christianity. What you see a lot among, in our world is not necessarily true Christianity at all. Because true Christianity is defined by faith, which follows in obedience to Christ. That's what it means that he's our Lord. right? He's King. He's Lord of our life. And so in verse 12, Apostle Paul, he... He commends, he notes with a note of encouragement to the Philippians. He says, you know, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. (laughs) doesn't mean that they were perfect in their obedience, but they were faithful. They were striving to be faithful to the Lord. They were obeying Christ from the time that they first responded to the call of the gospel when they first believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And from then on, they realized, yeah, that that means he's also Lord of my life. But there's a danger here. Paul was not with them. And he warns them not to become lax, not to become careless in their obedience to Christ. They shouldn't lean on Paul, right? The Lord used Paul to bring him to the faith. They shouldn't lean on Paul for the strength to obey Christ. But they should lean on whom? On God Himself, on Christ Himself. Their motive, our motive for obeying, should always be our love for Christ. Love and obedience are very closely connected together. If you love Christ, you obey Him. If you don't obey Christ, that means you really don't love Him. Right? Love is more than just a feeling, it's an action from the will, right? It shows forth in obedience. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, not as in my presence only, but but now much more in my absence. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Right? What he's saying is this salvation you do have in Christ. But now you need to work it out. Work it out in terms of, of growing in your love and in your obedience to Christ. You know, these words come here in a strong, in the form of a strong command, right? Work. Comes a, kind of like with an exclamation mark. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Literally, it says continue to work. That's a lifelong, it's a lifelong work. Right? It's a continuous, it's a strenuous effort, even as you battle on three fronts. Right? The world, the love of the world, the sinful desires of the flesh and the devil, right? Those three things we have to continually fight against. Let's be really clear here what this verse does not say. It does not say work for your salvation. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say work for your salvation. Who did the work for your salvation? Christ did. He did all the work for your salvation, right? His work for your salvation is finished. It's, it's completed. It's finished. Salvation is now a free gift to all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. A free gift. But notice the verse doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work out your salvation. Well, in order to work out your salvation, what do you need to have? <laughs> you need to have that salvation. So it's working it out. It's, a, it's applying. Applying God's word daily in our lives. Workouts, your salvation means growing in Christ's likeness, growing in your love for Christ. Right? It's another expensive word we use is the word sanctification. Right? It's growing more and more in the likeness of Christ. Growing in obedience is a workout, a lifelong workout. It's kind of like a fitness club, right? You have the strength and You you continue your workout. Why? In order to become even more fit. To become even more the kind of person you want to be. But you have to have the strength. That's the kind of thing that Paul's talking about here. Work it out. Keep on working out your salvation. What kind of attitude should we have as we work work out our salvation? Paul says here, Christ says here, with fear... And trembling. Okay, fear doesn't mean being scared or being afraid, but it's so easy to become careless in our obedience, to relax, to think, oh well, it doesn't matter. Christ saved me anyway, so it doesn't matter what I do. No, with fear and trembling, that means with reverence, with utmost seriousness, it doesn't mean you can never. Laugh or have a it can never be humorous but it does mean that with utmost seriousness before him our holy and mighty God our lives after all belong to whom? Jesus the lives of our children belong to whom? Jesus and so he's master and therefore he has the right over my life it's so different from what you hear today hear today that everyone has their rights. It's my body, I can do what I want with my body. That's the kind of things you hear out there. But not with Christ. He has the right over us now. He, we, he owns us, body and soul, and life and in death. That's my comfort. We sometimes forget the last words, of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Yeah, we're to make disciples. Jesus said these words due to considering His body our food and His body our salvation. The sacrament fits in very well with that, doesn't it? But you notice, right, in Matthew 28, we're called to make disciples and those who believe we're called to baptize them. But sometimes we forget the last words of the Great Commission, And that's the hard part. That's where it sometimes gets messy. That's the growing pains, you could say, of becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ, a greater disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, teaching them to obey some. No, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. It matters to Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus means to obey him in everything. Of course, the motive is faith, right? We believe, but that belief shows, it evidences itself in obedience to Jesus Christ. He's Lord. So, for example, it's one thing to pray, Father, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. But it's quite another to say, Okay, do I really forgive my brother? Have I really forgiven my sister in Christ? That's where. The obedience part comes in, right? Or it's one thing to place a plaque in the kitchen and say, Christ is the head of this home. But it's something else to recognize him as head by giving every important question over to him in prayer and by obeying his every command. Right? It's one thing to say piously, we know that all things work out for good for those who love God. But it's a very difficult thing sometimes, right, to submit to God and say this when you have a loved one, when one whom you love is gradually becoming weaker and eventually dies. It's one thing to confess, love your enemy, but it's far more difficult when you wish from your head, when you wish from your mind that he were dead. Christians struggle with that, they really do. And if they didn't, if they knew that nobody else would see that person or see himself, if they knew that nobody would see him, they might even go and kill that person. Right? It's very hard. But that's what it means. That's what, that's what Jesus, that's what Paul means when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because we are called to submit to our Lord the one who is Lord of heaven and earth, the one filled with holiness and glory and majesty and might and power and wisdom. So where do we get the strength? Where do we get the power to carry out or to work out our salvation? Think of it this way. Remember the paralyzed man in Mark chapter 2, lying on a bed and four men had to carry him? From where did he receive the power to get up and walk? From God. You know what God commands, what Jesus commands? He also gives. He doesn't leave it up to us. He also gives the strength to fulfill that command. Verse 13. See what it says? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, for his good pleasure. See verse 13? Verse 12 says, you work out your salvation. Verse 13, it's God who works this in you. (laughs) This is the amazing thing, right? Even as you're working, how is it that you're working? You can't boast about it yourself. It's because God is working this in you. It's God who works this in you. That's how much he loves his children. He doesn't say, okay, you're saved, now it's up to you. No, he works this life inside of you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It's God who works in you, literally the word there is energizes, the word for energy. That's the word behind work here. That means it's an effective working. God never fails to carry out the effect that He wants to have in us. He works in us by His Holy Spirit, doesn't He? That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us to work out our salvation. Think of fuel or gasoline. It fuels the car. It energizes the car. But you're not going to go anywhere unless you put your foot, unless you step on the pedal. Only then will the car drive forward. It's the same thing with God. There is no such thing as uh, um, let God, and you don't have to do anything. Uh Uh-uh. When God is at work in you, the effect will be you will work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know that same word, work and energy, we find in Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. That same word. There it says, know, that, know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working, there is that word working, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ. What happened when he worked in Christ? He raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God the Father only. That's powerful. That's powerful. It's the exact opposite of the evil one, of the devil. What does he do? He now works in the sons of disobedience, those who don't believe in Christ. Understand that what you see in the world is actually the devil. It's actually Satan who's working by his energy by his power in the sons of disobedience. That's the way the Apostle Paul talks about the generation that we live amongst is a corrupt and perverse generation. Not just a nice generation. It's not just a, merely a fallen generation. Yeah, fallen, but in the sense of it's corrupt, it's morally warped. It is totally off track when it comes to the law of God. That's the kind of world we live in the midst of. And in the midst of that, we have this encouraging word. It's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Notice, not only to work, but to will. What does that mean? He's the one who even causes you to have the the desire. He causes you to have the desire to do what he wants. That comes from God. That's grace. That's the grace of God and when we don't have that desire, we can pray for it. As a matter of fact, when we pray for it, then we will also in faith act upon it. Just like whom? Just like the paralytic man. Think of them paralytic man in Mark chapter 2. Totally powerless. And yet, at the word of Jesus, what did he do? The paralytic. He acted upon his faith. What did he do? He acted upon his faith. He got up, yeah, picked up his bed, and walked home. You say, well, how can a man just get out of bed like that? How, can he how could he change? How could that reversal come? Well, by believing. <laughs> and he acted upon his faith. And that's what God is talking about. He's the one who works in us to will and to do. Powerful. And he does that for his good pleasure. He does that for what a comforting thought. The next time you hear yourself saying, I can't do this, I can't obey this, I'm just too weak. I just keep on failing him, I keep on failing the Lord. What you need to do is put yourself in the background. Don't put, don't, don't put ourselves so forward. We put ourselves in the background. And then we let God's word speak to us in the situation. God is in the foreground. And he answers our wavering, fearful, doubting hearts. Never doubt his word for a minute. And what is God saying? You look to me. You look to Christ. I'm working in you to will and to work what pleases me. The good work I have begun in you, I will also bring that work to completion. You know, it reminds, I have to continually remind myself that God will do his work, even as we as elders, pastor, pastor of the congregation, many worries. Sometimes there's many, many worries. You pray for people, you pray for believers, you pray for the struggles and but you remind yourself, yeah, ultimately it's, it's God's work. It's his, he, he works in us to do, to will and to do. Right? He's the one who does it. Same with parents raising children. You know you get worried sometimes. You know you work it out. But just remember, remind yourself that it's God's work. It's God's work in us to will and to do. Wow. That brings us to verses 14 to 15 and 16. Because after all, why does, for what purpose does God command this? Well, for one thing, it's for His glory. That should be the biggest reason we want to do what glorifies Him, right? What's the purpose of man? It's to enjoy God and glorify Him forever. That was the purpose from the first day of creation. Sin spoiled that. But the other reason is, To be a witness to a corrupt and perverse generation in which we live. Look up both of those things briefly. Okay, what's the purpose? Your purpose is to be stars in the sight of God. Never mind about the movie Stars in the World. the The stars of God. right? Shine like stars. You are stars in the sight of God. This is really important. And your mission is to punch holes into the darkness. That's how someone put it one time. Little boy was looking out the window, and he saw this lamplighter outside putting on the lights in the night. And this fellow, this pertinent, this nanny said to the boy, what are you doing? What are you watching? Little boy said, I'm watching someone putting holes into the darkness. That's what stars do. Right? They put holes into the darkness. And that's the purpose why God wants us to grow in our obedience. And notice what that means. We're not to be heroes in the light of the world, but to be stars in the sight of God. And what does that mean? You know what one of the first things it means? How many of us grumble and how many of us complain? The first application here is no grumbling and no complaining. So what? Isn't there worse sins than this? It's a pretty bad sin. It's pretty wicked to grumble and complain. So the Apostle Paul says very strongly here without grumbling and complaining. That's in all things. In all things raising children, going to work, going to school, going to church. No grumbling. You're God's children. You're stars. Don't make the lights go out by your grumbling complaining. When you grumble and complain, what happens? When you grumble and argue, a number of things happen. You're saying that God is not fair. You're a child of God. God is not fair? God is not just. Is there something lacking in God? Is he not doing you good? Is he not doing you right? One person puts it this way. He says, it's... uh, Where did I have that? Okay. Um, Forget what that was. Anyway, what he says is, is to cast a slur on the reputation of God. To grumble, to complain, to argue, is to throw dirt on his reputation. And before a watching world, terrible. It's a terrible sin. That's why the Apostle Paul says, no, no, no. And you think about the situation in Philippi. What was going on in the church of Philippi? We saw last week there was some strife. There was some division. And what, why does division occur in the church? Because sometimes there's resentment. Sometimes there's jealousy. Apostle Paul says there were selfish ambitions. There were, if you look at verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, of chapter 2, there were selfish ambitions. There was conceit. It's totally against all the one another's, right? The koinonia that Apostle Paul is addressing here. These are common sins among God's people. So we tend to think it's not so bad. But the Apostle Paul says, do all things without complaining, without arguing. What's that mean? Do all things with a willing heart. God doesn't want outward obedience. Outward obedience, we can fool one another. God wants obedience from the heart. A willing obedience. An obedience from the heart. And that's, what's the opposite of complaining and arguing? The next phrase, being blameless, and harmless. (laughs) It's really interesting, the opposite. The opposite of complaining, the opposite of arguing, is being blameless and harmless. To complain and argue is not working out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's not trusting in God to work in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Rather, Paul says, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become Blameless and harmless, children of God without fault. Quite the opposite, isn't it? That you become blameless and harmless. That's the purpose. For the glory of God. Right? That we become blameless and harmless, growing in our Christ likeness. The Bible in Ephesians 1 says, God the Father, what did he do? He chose us in the foundation, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. For what purpose? That we should be holy and blameless in His sight. Okay, blameless does not mean without sin. Okay, blameless means what? It means being faithful. Is one who is above reproach. Okay, so that does mean doesn't mean being without sin, but one who is without reproach. Harmless is one who has no guile, no deceit. That's the the purpose, that's the aim. Right? Verses 15 and 16 describes the purpose. Children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. What a beautiful description, eh? Of the character of God in the life of the church. Shining stars. Stars in the sky. Where does that image come from? It goes all the way back to Genesis 1. It goes all the way back to the creation, the fourth day. Remember what God did on the fourth day? Let there be lights in the skies of the heavens. And he made the stars also. And what do the stars do? The stars are intended to. Chime. And, yeah, chime, sing, sing and punch holes in the darkness to get rid of the darkness. And now, who's the new creation in Jesus Christ? We are, as God's people, the new creation in Christ. The church is the light whom you shine as Apostle Paul, says of Philippi, whom you shine as lights in the world holding forth the word of life. Notice that? Light, life. The two go together. Life and light. What's the opposite? Darkness, death. That's the society around us. Darkness, death. The contrast is life and light. Think back to John 1 verse 4. Who is Jesus? What does it say about Jesus here? In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The darkness in which the stars shine is described in verse 15 as the crooked and perverse generation. So, you know, you think about that. The community in which we live, just talking with some people this past week, how reports are circulating that in our community around us in Brampton, you see crime taking place against international students. Horrendous. It's coming to the fore. Horrendous acts of evil against international students in Brampton. It's coming to the fore. And you think about that. And not just from all parts of the world. They can't pay their rents. They can't pay their tuition. And so what happens? You have thugs... Thugs and masters in the city who are exploiting them, abusing them with drugs, and also men using the girls. Terrible. This is corruption. This is the corruption and the perverse generation in which we live. That's what the Apostle Paul, one that's morally warped. One does not walk straight in the in the law of God. A couple of other examples. You know, uh, today the big push in our society is for transgenderism. A boy can become becoming a girl. A girl becoming a boy. There's a big push for abortions. A big push for euthanasia. Hey, you can die anytime you want. Just call the doctor. And he'll give you the needle and you can die. There's a big push for now the limiting of the freedom of speech there's a push to censor the word of God what's this evidence of? it's evidence of a corrupt and perverse generation right? the power of Satan at work in the sons of disobedience but don't forget what's stronger than the darkness and death? light and life You are the lights. You hold forth. What did the Apostle Paul say right after that? You hold forth the word of life. You continue to hold it forth, even if it costs you your job, even if it costs you your life, because the one you believe has conquered sin, death, and hell, and his is of eternal glory. You know, we can pray with Psalm 10. Lord, break the wicked person's power. Call him to account. All the evil which he thought would never be found out. The Lord will reign as king. His throne will always stand. The heathen nations of the world will perish from his hand. Yet you are God's stars in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Holding forth the word of life. Holding out Christ. Holding out Christ in his justice, in his holiness, in his mercy, in his love, in his grace. Wow. Light and life. That's what it means to work out your salvation. To work out our salvation, a congregation that is transformed, a one another kind of congregation, right serving one another, putting the other interest putting the interests of others before our own. Koinonia, holding forth the word of life with uncomplaining patience. Christ is worthy. Christ is worthy of all of this. May the lost, may the confused, may the grieving, may the depressed, look and see the light of Christ in us. And the life. May we continue to hold it out. Christ the life. So that others may come to repentance and faith, and that Christ may continue to increase the number of shining stars in the sky what's the goal of obeying that brings us to 16 to 18 the goal of obeying we saw the we saw the power to obey comes from God the purpose of obeying simply to glorify God and to be a witness in a crooked and perverse generation and what's the goal what's the ultimate goal of obeying well this is the way of rejoicing Ever wonder why there's such a lack of joy in the church even? Because there's a lack of obedience. But you know, a spirit-driven, a spirit-motivated obedience is rejoicing. The goal is rejoicing. Christ is king. He is growing his kingdom. There's every reason for joy. Paul himself will rejoice when Jesus returns and he will see that his labor was not in vain. His labor for the cause of Christ. How much we can be encouraged by as parents, as we raise our children. Our labor is not in vain. See verses 16. Verse 16. There's the goal. So that I may rejoice, says the Apostle Paul, in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. You know, Paul rejoices. That all the sacrifice for Christ. All the sacrifice for the gospel. Has been worth it. Has not been vain, in vain. He sees a sacrifice. He sees the service of the Philippian church too. He says keep it up. Continue to work it out. Continue to shine as stars. What is he seeing? He's not seeing his own work. But God is using his work. To do what? It's God that's ultimately at work in the life of the congregation. He sees the work of God in them as they endure hardship, as they endure persecution for their faith in Jesus. Shining stars in the darkness, holding out the word of life. Christ is worth it all. Worth all the strenuous labor and even persecution. But more than that, is Christ worth dying for? Yes. Yes. I mean, we believe it in our minds, but sometimes it's really hard to think about how I would respond. But is Christ really worth dying for? Nothing else in the world is worth dying for. Because there's only one thing that's eternal. Christ. And His kingdom. Everything else is temporary your house, your money, your families. Is Christ worth dying for? Paul says, yes. And that's why he rejoices. Paul compares his own possible death to a drink offering. See verses 17 18? He says, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, he's talking about his own death. Perhaps some, some of his energy will take his life away from him. He says, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all, for the same reason you also will be glad and rejoice with me. He rejoices at the fact that even if his life is poured out as a drink offering, right? it will be an offering poured out on their sacrifice, on the sacrifice and offering of their faith. The Apostle Paul's sacrifice, you can see, kind of crowns, (laughs) crowns their offering and their sacrifice of faith because it's all for the sake of Christ together. That brings him great joy. He knows that on the day of Christ, when Christ returns, all his effort has not been in vain. What an encouragement, eh? It's the same thing as we raise our families, as we raise our children, right? In ourselves, we can't do it. But the one who has the power to work in us, he does it. We rejoice in the fact that it will not be in vain. Neither will the ministry of the church be in vain. Also, in the world in which we live. The beautiful thing of God's grace is that he softens hearts to his love and to his compassion in Christ. That's what he does. So that he softens hearts so that we yield to him with love and a desire to obey. Our willing and joyful offering of self for Christ, that is our sacrifice today, right? That's the offering of thanksgiving to Christ. Christ who gave himself for us through death on the cross that we might receive an eternal kingdom. This is his power in, both, in you, both to do and to to will you know there's a promise in scriptures to all believers who trust and obey you see that in Isaiah 51 verse 11 so the redeemed of the Lord shall return and shall come with singing unto Zion you could say into glory with everlasting joy on their heads they shall obtain joy and gladness sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That's his promise that caps this passage for us this day. Amen.